Hallelujah. We're in the book of Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to be in chapter 3 for two Sundays. And the reason we are is because chapter 3 is the ministry of John the Baptist. And he is an incredible uh, character. And when I say character, I mean that in a good way. What an amazing prophet. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets bringing in a New Testament way. Thank God for John the Baptist. Me talking about the ministry of John the Baptist. Praise God. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're just going to read down to verse 9. And um, we're going to look at some things that are very powerful. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this he was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, that's Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and his leather girdle about his loins. How's that for a Sunday meeting garment? And his meat was locusts and wild honey. How's that for a Sunday buffet? Then went out to him Jerusalem and all of Judea and all of the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Using for our subject this morning, the ministry of John the Baptist. You may be seated. How many understand that the churches in the land today should also still have the ministry of John the Baptist? When you think of John the Baptist, you think of loud. You think of powerful. You think of incredible. You think of a wild man on the deserts of Judea, preaching, repent, or you're going to be fried. That's what you get when you think of John the Baptist. Repent, or you're going to hell. That really wasn't the message of John the Baptist. The message of John the Baptist was, I'm going to make a, a way for the Messiah because I'm going to make his path straight, and I'm going to introduce you to a new and living way. That was the voice of John the Baptist. One of these days, I'm going to preach a series of messages on famous quotes from John the Baptist. His most, favorite, uh, most famous quote is, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And of course, we know that great quote at Jordan Bank when he said, behold, the Lamb of God, as he looked at Jesus, that cometh to take away the sin of the world. Then we know that famous uh, announcement that I must decrease and Jesus must increase. And then John also made the statement that um, I'm unworthy to stoop down and loose the latchet of the one that comes after me. For I baptize you with water, but there comes one mightier than I that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now, there's a lot of great famous quotes that John the Baptist made, and uh, his first quote was repentance. I'll share another one with you. Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. And that's what cost John the Baptist his head. How many know that if you turn your life to Jesus Christ, it's going to cost your head. And I don't mean physical death. Oh, it could come to that, but it's going to cost your mindset. You're going to have to change your way. The Bible says that John the Baptist, when he declared who he was, he said, I am the voice of one 
crying in the wilderness. And I too am the voice of one. And you too are the voice of one crying in the wilderness. It's interesting that the first thing John the Baptist said was repent. It's amazing that repent or repentance is actually the first word in the gospel. It's amazing how it has become the last word in churches today. Repentance is the first word in the gospel. John said, repent, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus comes right along in the next chapter four. I think it's in verse 17. Repent, kingdom of heaven is at hand. On the day of Pentecost, Peter said, repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, be baptized for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Paul based his whole ministry on repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we look at John the Baptist, and we know what he brought was the first oracle is repent. That is the first message. It shouldn't be tagged on at the bottom or at the end of a sermon. It should be the bedrock of a sermon. Something that changes our lives, something that turns us around. Did you know Paul said that repentance was a gift from God? Repentance is a gift from God. Grace is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God. You had breakfast, and that's a gift from God. You put on clothes, and that's a gift of God. Praise God, you put on clothes. Amen. It's a gift of God. Water to drink, food to eat, gift of God. Grace and repentance toward God, all a gift of God. The Spirit of God convicting us and bringing us to Christ is a gift from God. Now, you might think, whoa, my life's had trouble. You may feel like you're a little upset with God because your life has went a wire. Maybe you've went through a hard time, maybe a, a, a horrific thing in your life. But it could be that all that trouble you're having is a gift from God so that you'll repent and change your life. I've said this before, repentance is grieving away from sin into the arms of Jesus Christ, following a new life. What is repentance? Well, how many would agree that if you're going to figure out what repentance is, you know, a lot of churches don't even mention it because they think it's an archaic word and it doesn't apply today. But the law first mentioned in Genesis says that God repented. Now, we know that God doesn't have to repent, but the meaning of that repentance in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, says it repented the Lord that he had made man. And it grieved him at his heart. It grieved him at his heart. So we know though repentance, God doesn't repent. He doesn't have to repent. But it gives us the definition of repentance. And that is grieving away from sinful lifestyle. God grieved away from the fact that he made man and he eventually destroyed man. It's not, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later on, but I, I, there are just some things I want to touch on today that'll help you be strong in the Lord. But repentance is the first word of the gospel. And I'm thankful for the fact that it's not, you know, it's not there just so that you can, uh, so that some preacher can make you feel bad and make you feel like, man, you need to get it together. You, you know, you're, you're, you're worthless and you're a piece of trash and you get right with God. That's not, that's, that's the wrong spirit in any preacher. Can I get an amen right there? That's the wrong spirit in any preacher. Repentance is coming to the Lord. As I said earlier, maybe something horrible is happening to you. Maybe, and you feel a little bit angry at God about what has happened to you. But it could be the very thing that God is allowing in your life as a gift of repentance. Repentance is grieving away, not getting angry at God. Repentance is not grieving away from God's work. Repentance is grieving over your past, grieving over your sin, and having that grievance to go closer to the Lord.
Amen. So I want to give you a good understanding of repentance. John the Baptist, I, you know, he, here he comes on the scene, says in, them, in those days. How many would like to have some of those days? Amen. And John the Baptist comes preaching in Judea, in the wilderness. And he's preaching the power of God. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I, uh, I, I just give you a little, little um, thought for, uh, that you could grab a hold of today that will touch your life. Not only was repentance the first word in the gospel, but this was a radical call to the Savior. John the Baptist had a radical call to the Savior. The Bible says that he was baptizing people in the River Jordan. You can find these other places in John and Luke and other places. And John was baptizing people in Jordan. Now get this. He had taken them out in Jordan. They'd stand there in Jordan and they'd confess their sins. Not my cup of tea. That's not what I'd want to do. But I believe a river of tears was shed in the Jordan as people went out into the water and they shed their tears and they confessed their sins. John the, Baptist, uh, John the Baptist gets the name Baptist, not because um, of a certain church. He gets the name Baptist because he baptized people. And, and John, when he baptized people, he took them down under the water representing the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ when they came up. But it means more than that. It means a new covenant. It means a new life. It means a new way and a new expression. And John the Baptist being an Old Testament prophet is breaking the ice of Judaism and bringing to us the Messiah. And he's telling everybody the Messiah is coming. And the only way to receive this Messiah is to repent of your sins. Now, I get a picture of waiting out in Jordan trying to confess all your sins, and I'm thinking, whoa. The Jews had a real problem with this. And as we study it, you've you got to understand that John did not preach to the Gentiles. John the Baptist preached to the Jews. And the Jews had a real problem with this because the Jewish people in Judaism, they baptized or washed themselves. They didn't allow others to wash them. They washed themselves. They didn't call it baptism, but they had washings, many washings. And then John the Baptist comes along and he tells these Jews, you need to repent. You need to confess your sins, calling out your sins in Jordan, and you need to be baptized. And now John, this wild looking guy that comes on the scene with camel's hair garment. He is, uh, he, he's eating locusts and wild honey. He's out there on the river and he's, and he's screaming to the top of his voice, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And those Jews, those Jewish people didn't see the need for that. But let me tell you, friends, repentance is not just for lost people. Unbelievers. Repentance is for believers too. And the Jewish people had a real problem because they washed their own hands. They washed their own self. They washed their self uh, because uh, it was the ceremony cleansing. And that was basically the baptism. If a Gentile wanted to be a Jew, say a Gentile man decided he wanted to go into Judaism, wanted to be a Jew, there were three things that they would do to this Gentile in order for him to be considered a Jew. Number one, he had to be taught. He had to be taught the law of, law of Moses. He had to be taught the law of God. And he had, it, had, it had to be ingrained, ingrained inside of him, the law of Moses and the law, uh, the Old Testament law. Not only did he have to be taught, but being a man, he had to be circumcised. No matter how old he was, he had to be circumcised. Well, I'm out right there. I'm done. I mean, we'd agree. I'd be done with that. You men know what I'm done. I'm done. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm known for just saying it like it is. Uh, and, you know, when, you, when you're not circumcised as a baby, 
and you start getting a little older, there's too much to remember. Hello. Too much to remember. And, uh, but that was the law. They had to circumcise them. And not only did they have to be circumcised, the third thing, they had to be washed. And they had to be washed thoroughly. They had to be washed under living water. You say, well, what was living water to the Jews? Running water. Water that flowed was called living water. Jordan flew, the river flowed, and it was called living water. When they poured the water out of a basin on hands, when the water is moving, it's called living water. It's dead water in the vessel, but when you pour it and it's moving, it becomes living water. Now, these, the priests would wash these Gentiles after they'd been taught, after they'd been circumcised, and they would wash them in order for them to be able to go into the temple and, and take up Judaism, become a Jew, religiously. John come along and said, uh, we're not going that direction. John comes along and says, you can't wash yourself. You're not going to be allowed to cleanse yourself. You're not going to be allowed to baptize yourself. And furthermore, it's not just Gentiles. I'm talking to you. John the Baptist said to them Jews, I'm talking to you. And that was highly offensive because they did not want to be washed by anybody. They wanted to do their own washing. And that's why Jesus, that's why John said, um, you know, I baptize you in water under repentance, but there comes one mightier than I that will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. And so you, you see two problems here. Problem number one, John the Baptist. How many know he was a problem? He's not a problem with me, he's not a problem with you, but he was a problem with the Jews. Problem number two, your Messiah is going to baptize you. Your Messiah is going to clean you up. Your Messiah, if you don't clean up, you're going to be baptized in hell fire. You're going to burn in hell. We'll get into that probably next week. But I do want everyone to understand that when John the Baptist came preaching and he resembled much because of the promise the angel made to Zacharias, his daddy, in Luke chapter 1, uh, Elijah would look a lot like, or John the Baptist would look a lot like Elijah. Now, it wasn't that John the Baptist was trying to mimic or imitate uh, Elijah. John the Baptist wasn't trying to look like him. It was just he was going to have the spirit of Elijah. And John the Baptist comes on the scene, and, and he's eating locusts and wild honey. Now, I'm a poor boy. I know what it is to eat poor food. I know what it is to, to eat barbecued groundhog. Come on, I've lost some of you already. Anything that cute and that mean should be eaten. I know what it is to eat muskrat. Some of you don't even know what that is. It's a muskrat. I know what it is to eat poke greens. Some of you still eat them. I eat them every year. I know what it is to eat sheep sour. I know what it is to, to, uh, to uh, eat uh, all kinds of things. You know, I, I, I grew up poor. But what I'm trying to say is, I mean, you're really poor when you've got to eat a bologna sandwich every day for lunch. Hello? You say, I like my bologna. I do too because I'm poor. It does taste pretty good when you're starved to death. Amen? I like real bologna. I like all beef bologna. I told my, I told my friends out in Nevada, I said, can you find all beef bologna? They said, yeah, you can go to a butcher shop and it'll be wrapped in a, in a, in a sleeve and, and it'll be all beef bologna. So I went and bought me a roll. And I looked on the package and the package said all beef made from all beef. And as I read a little further, it literally meant all the beef. It's feet, it's nose, it's mouth, it's everything. You know, preacher, I, you know, I'm, I've got a delicate stomach. 
uh, you know, I, you're, you're being too crude. Well, how can you preach John the Baptist without being a little bit crude? John the Baptist, what I'm trying to say is I've eaten a lot of things in my childhood as a poor boy. And John the Baptist, <coughs> by the way, John the Baptist was from, from the priestly lineage. His daddy, Zacharias, was, was a priest. In fact, he was told that his wife would be, have, a, have a son by the angel. Later, we knew it was Gabriel. And, and Gabriel goes to Zacharias while he's offering incense in chapter one of Luke. And while Zacharias is offering incense, this, this angel shows up. And the angel says, you and your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a boy. And you're going to call his name John. Now, the Bible says that Elizabeth and Zacharias was stricken in years. They were old. And I could just hear Zacharias say to Gabriel, later we find out it's Gabriel, um, that's an old, old prayer. Because the angel told Zacharias, your prayers have been heard. And, and, I, and I believe Zacharias might have said to the angel, that's a really old prayer. I hadn't prayed that prayer in years. Because my wife's extremely old. And he was extremely old. And then you read chapter one of Luke and you discover that when he starts saying, you know, I'm old, my wife's old. And, and then, then the angel tells who he is. I'm Gabriel. Basically what he was saying, Zacharias, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Quit acting so dumb. Since you're acting so dumb, you're going to be dumb until the baby is born. And his vocal cords were stricken and he could not speak until he named the child when he was born, John. And when he named the child, John, then his vocal cords were open and he could speak again. Now, that's, you know, Elizabeth also was from the daughters of Aaron. So John the Baptist could have been a priest but he chose to stay out in the wilderness of Judea to preach the gospel. He's that bulldozer making the roads clear for Jesus Christ and make, it, to make the way of Jesus Christ. And while he's eating in the wilderness, called, he eats locusts and wild honey. Now, you'll have some Bible commentators tell you, well, that don't mean bugs. You know, I, I've been poor. I give you a list of things I've eaten but I've never ate bugs, at least intentionally. I've never ate a bug, not intentionally. Amen? Kind of like the guy that was preaching in a tent meeting and there's a light above his head and he's preaching away. It's a hot summer month and this beetle, brown beetle bug went to circling around and he's uh, preaching, opening it. And he's, I mean, he's rearing back, taking a breath, preaching, taking a breath. And all of a sudden that beetle, he sucked it right down his throat. The guy turned blue, white as a sheet. He stopped. He said, I'm not going to let the devil get ahead of me. What I did was scriptural. He was a stranger, and I took him in. <laughs> well, there's a lot of things that were strangers that I took in, but I've never been poor enough to eat a bug. Now, there's Bible commentators that tell you that don't mean a bug, that meant a locust tree, and little pods on the locust tree. The only problem with that is John the Baptist needed to eat all seasons, and the locust tree only produces one season, two at the max in the, in the Middle East. So, no, it wasn't a locust pod from a tree. It was a bug, a big, long grasshopper, locust. And I, and I thought, well, how do they eat grasshoppers? I'm not eating any grasshopper. Well, they had, they, had, um, they had different kinds of grasshopper menu. They had grasshopper cake. Grind it up, make grasshopper cake. Now some of you are going, ah, that's so bad. There's no telling what you're eating in your flour at home. <laughs> and you that love fig bars, I guarantee you're eating some things. Amen. The different kind, you know, there's bug cakes, there's bug soup. 
There's um, roasted locusts. There's locust jerky. Bug cakes, bug jerky, bug delicacies. Folks, that just bugs the tire out of me. Amen? But John the Baptist would eat them. He said, why did he eat them? Didn't want to go into town and get something to eat. He cheaper to eat out there on the Jordan Bank. He didn't want to go into town. So he just stayed out there preaching, repent, come to Jesus, the Messiah is coming, the kingdom of God is at hand. So John is preaching away and people come and they hear his message and they get baptized. They confess their sin in Jordan. John the Baptist puts him puts them under the water after they confess their sins. They come up and they are cleansed, not by the water, but they're cleansed by looking to the Messiah that's coming to his death, burial, and resurrection. Are you following me? I, I want to point out something that I, I wrote something down. I didn't want to forget it because it's important that you see this about repentance. Repentance is, well, let me just give you this. Uh, it was a, the, the call that John made was a radical. You got to be baptized. And that meant Gentiles as well. And the Pharisees come along and said, you know, Pharisees, Sadducees, they showed up because they wanted to see what was going on. And John looked at them and said, who warned you to flee from the wrath which is to come? He said, don't say within your own self that you be Abraham's seed because God is able of these rocks to raise up children unto Abraham. Those guys came out in their royal priesthood apparel. They came out as somebodies. They were leaders of the law. They were somebodies. And John the Baptist says to them, you go back and you get fruits that are suitable to repentance. Notice what it says in verse eight. Bring forth therefore fruits, meat that's suitable for repentance. Did you know there's fruits to repentance? There is, there's fruits to repentance. As I said earlier, maybe you've been through a hard time. Maybe you're a little angry at God. Maybe your life's really been messed up. It very well be that God allowed that to happen so that you could receive a gift. And that gift is the gift of repentance. Because repentance isn't just changing your mind. You can change your mind in a jail cell, but that don't get you out. You can change your mind in a depressed situation, but that don't get your life changed. What gets you changed is you get baptized by the Holy Spirit into the person of Jesus Christ. That's what gets you changed. So there are fruits to repentance. Let me give you some of them. I already gave you one, grieving. Grieving away from your sin. I'm not talking about grieving because you sin. You know, you sin, something went wrong, caused you a problem, you're grieving over your past. You're grieving because you did wrong. Wrong kind of grieving. You're sorry for yourself. You're bitter about yourself. You're sorry about what you did. The right kind of grieving is you're sick of sin. You grieve to God. You grieve away from your sin to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if you grieve away from your sin to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that's not being sad about your sin. You can be sad about your sin, still go to hell. You've got to grieve away from your sins. Let me put it like this. You're not going to heaven with sin. You've got to be forgiven and your life has to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've got to have your sins forgiven by the person of Jesus Christ. Example, it is repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is not just a thought, although it's that. It's not just a feeling, although it's that. But repentance is a movement. It is an action. If I tell you to go to Springfield, and some of you live in Springfield, that's where you're going. How many in this room live in Springfield? Raise your hand. Okay, you live in Springfield. You're not going to get to Springfield until you leave Ozark. You're not in Springfield now. You're in Ozark. 
And you're not going to get to Springville until you leave Ozark. You're not going to become a Christian until you leave your sin. Until you grieve away from your sin and make your journey to where Jesus is. And when you make your journey to where Jesus is, then Jesus forgives you of your sin. <clears throat> That's pretty simple, isn't it? It's so simple that it makes you nervous, doesn't it? So simple that it makes you a little bit concerned. Now, John's going to baptize these people in Jordan. They don't want to be baptized because they wash themselves. The Jews don't want to, they want to save themselves. They want to live the Ten Commandments. They want to live the certain creed. They want to do certain things. They don't, they don't want somebody else to take the responsibility of their soul. But I'm here to tell you, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, has taken the responsibility for your soul. And the only way you're going to get there is to come to Him. Amen? Repentance suitable. What are some of the fruits of repentance? Well, there is grieving, of course. Attitude. Attitude. My mom used to tell me, wipe that attitude off your face before I slap it off. And I said, Mom, you'll hurt my pretty face. And she'd laugh. And she'd say, that ain't funny. I said, why are you laughing? I've got some grandkids kind of like that. I don't know where they got it. Picked it up from Judy. It's amazing what a woman would do to you. When I was younger, I drove fast. When I was younger, I drove 100, 120 miles an hour. I drove fast. And, I, and I'd turn my signal on and leave it blinking as long as I wanted to. I'd leave the air conditioner going or the windows down and go like I wanted to. And when I first started dating Judy, she'd sit in the car and she'd never tell me my blinker's on. She'd never tell me the air conditioner is too cold. She'd never, tell, she'd never tell me slow down. She'd never tell me how to drive. Judy would sit in the seat like this. <laughs> I'd be going 100 miles an hour. Oh, she looks so pretty like that. But I said, I do. I got saved. No more of this. I get over 60 or 65 in a 55. You're going too fast, slow it down. <laughs> Your blinker's on. Did you see that stop sign? She helps me drive. I'm amazed that I can even drive when she doesn't go with me. <laughs> so when I slip out of the house without her, I go back into the way she was when we were dating. I just picture her at the passenger seat going, and I just go down the road as fast as I want, watching for the little ditties on the side. Drive fast as I want, leave my signal on, turn the air conditioner up so high that ice specks are coming out of the air condition. Cold and drive, and I'll drive to Springville with my signal going on all the way. And I'll be a, turn my music up loud. And I never hear her say, turn it down. Your blinker's on. Amen. I told her the other day, I went to get me a glass of milk and the milk was blinky. And I said, Judy, you're always telling me the blinker's on. Why didn't you tell me the milk was blinky? Amen. You say, well, preacher, I wouldn't live with you. I don't want you to. Amen. Preacher, I'd straighten you out. No, you wouldn't. I made up my mind. Only one person, only two people in this world is going to straighten me out, and that's my wife, Judy, and Jesus. Amen? And I kind of preach the way I want to preach. Them old scribes and Pharisees, they came up there with a bad attitude. 
And John was telling them, wipe that smirky grin off your face. Go back in, get fruits to repentance, get suitable fruit for repentance. Go back in, get those loud apparels off. Come back without an arrogant attitude. Come back humble to the Jordan. Bring forth fruits, meat to repentance. If you'll come back and get it right, instead of trying to think that you're God's gift to the universe. John was telling those Pharisees and them scribes, or those Sadducees and Pharisees, he was telling them, uh, go back and come back a nobody. And when you come back a nobody, I'll baptize you. He said, not only will I baptize you in water to repentance, but the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And the Jews are thinking, oh, great. Now I've got two people going to give me a bath. John's going to baptize me, and then the Messiah's going to baptize me. Now they didn't call it baptism, but that's what it was. And they call it living water. If you take a trip to Israel... I haven't been to Israel, but I've talked to people that have been there, and I've looked at pictures of Israel. They had a lot of vats of washing, big uh, rock hewn out, a lot of water going through. The water would go through, and they called it living water to pull the Siloam. They washed in that before they could go to the temple. And it was called then washing, but it actually, uh, when they needed a baptism, that means from, from their head to their to their feet, they had to be emerged deep down into the water. But they did it themselves as Jews. But now they're going to let someone get their hands on them because they're Jews. They can see it for the Gentile. Teach them, circumcise them, baptize them, wash them good. But you're telling me that I got to go out there in Jordan and let you John the Baptist baptized me? Yeah. So John said, and not only that, you're going to let the Messiah do it too or you're going to go to hell because the Messiah has two baptisms, one of the Holy Ghost and the other baptism of fire. It's your choice. You say, boy, John the Baptist just kind of shucked the corn. He just really got with it. He did. But John the Baptist was sending a signal to them that your whole way of thinking is going to change. Your whole way of life is going to change. You are going to have to submit yourself to the hand of God. No wonder repentance is the first word in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my question to you this morning would be, have you really repented? Did you repent or just change your mind? Well, changing your mind's part of it. And any preacher that tells you repentance is just a change of mind are only giving you a piece of it. Because repentance is a grieving away from sin. It's a new life. Just as I said, you can't get to Springfield without leaving Ozark. You can't get to Jesus without leaving your cares behind, coming to Christ and allowing him to save you and baptize you in the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus baptized you in the Spirit of God. Now, someone says, but that Holy Ghost and fire, you know, you did that, that Holy Ghost and fire is keeping me alive. Don't misunderstand me. There is fire in the Holy Ghost. There's purging fire in the Holy Ghost. But in this scripture, he's not talking about Holy Ghost purging fire. He's talking about hell. He said, how do you know that? Because the winnowing fork. He said, the, the, he said they, they take the wheat and they throw it into the winds. The winds come off the Mediterranean. They throw the wheat up in the air and the wind blows the chaff away and the wheat falls to the ground. And they harvest the wheat, but all the chaff blows away. And they pile up the chaff and they burn it. That's what John has given us a picture of. You can come to Christ. You can allow him to take that little, kind of like a pitchfork, we would think a winning fork, pick us up and expose us to the winds of the Spirit of God. 
Expose us to the cleansing power of the Spirit of God. I am, I'm trying to make this as simple as I, I possibly can because there's so much misunderstanding about repentance. There are three baptisms that John speaks of here. And um, as you've already gathered, you can tell that my voice is not as strong as it normally is. So next Sunday, I intend to open the lid and go big time. But for now, I want you to understand repentance. Repentance is more than just changing your mind. Repentance is changing your life. It's turning you totally around. Amen? Repentance is the first word in the gospel. Why has it become the last word in our churches? Because we all need the ministry of John the Baptist today. How many would agree the church needs the ministry of John the Baptist? Amen? And, and you know, I'm blessed because I don't have to eat locusts and wild honey. I can, I can tell you what repentance is without having to go through all that trouble. But I, I do want to say to everyone in this room that the whole message of John the Baptist when he went to the river, he was telling the Jewish people something new is coming. And some of you need something new in your life. I'm preaching to some people right now, you need something new in your life. You leave church sometimes feeling like you need to change. But yet, you don't change. You think you've got it handled, but you don't have it handled. It takes the sovereign power of God. It takes Jesus to baptize us in. It takes Jesus to clean us up, to baptize us. It takes the Spirit of God to place us in the body of Christ. And it takes us grieving away from our sins so that we can have Jesus Christ. And better yet, so that Jesus Christ can have all of us. As long as you don't grieve away from your sin, Jesus is not going to get all of you. But if you'll grieve away from your sin, Jesus will get all of you. Say, so what's he going to do about my sin? He's going to cleanse you, purge you, and he's going to require of you to forsake it. We don't hear that preached much anymore, do we? It's amazing how short-lived we are, but yet we don't prepare for death. It's amazing how short-lived we are, but yet we don't prepare for our eternal future. John the Baptist had an incredible ministry. And his ministry was repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, if something's at hand, it means it's really close. My Bible is at hand. It's really close. And John the Baptist said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I want you to know, you're just as close to eternal life and you're just as close to forgiveness of sin, and you're just as close to a new life as your one hand is to your other hand. It's at hand. So I don't understand all this. You don't have to. What you need to understand is what little bit you need to understand is this. I need a new life, and I can't provide that. And I can't wash myself. My Messiah has to wash me. That was the big hurdle that the Jewish people had. They always washed themselves in the ritual washings. John comes along and says, uh, 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 you're going to get in this river and I'm going to get my hands on you and I'm going to put you under. You say, well, what does John represent? Repentance. Repentance needs to get his hands on you because John represents repentance. And, you, and repentance needs to get his hands on you, John does, and he needs to take you and put you under. Submissive, willing, 
and under the message of Jesus Christ, under the Messiah, he's coming. Once he does that, then the Messiah is going to come along and he's going to take over. He's going to say, John, you must decrease. I'm going to increase. John, you did a good job. Good job, John. I'll take it from here. And Jesus Christ took it from here with my life, and he'll take it with you. Amen? I, I realize that not many churches have explained repentance. Not many preachers have went through and explained what repentance is other than just quickly saying it's a change of mind. It is that, but it's more than that. It's a change of life. It's not works. It's just that you grieve away from something that is your worst enemy. And your worst enemy is your sin. And you grieve away from your worst enemy, sin. And you come to Jesus Christ. And he saves your soul. Through his blood, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. I'm grateful for the fact that John come on the scene and said, there's coming a different direction. We're going another way. We're not going to go the Judeo way. We're going to go the Jesus way. And it's called a new and living way. Living for Christ. Say, well, I'm saved. I know Jesus. I never had no change in my life. I, I went and asked Jesus to come to my heart, but I, I've really not had a change in my life. I live the way I want to. I I sin, it doesn't bother me. Oh, it bothers me, but you know, nobody's perfect. That's the voice of a lost man. That's the voice of a deceived person. Because Jesus does, he changes our life. Amen? It's a new life, a glorious life. Amen? And so I want everybody to understand today, you can call it what you want to. You can say repentance is no word, change it in the new Bibles, and you know, it's not really that big a deal. I'm here to tell you it's such a big deal that it's the first word in the gospel. Repentance is such a big deal. It's the first word in the gospel with Jesus, with John, with Peter, and with Paul. It's such a big deal that without that first word of repentance, we'll never receive Christ as our Savior. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, I'm not here trying to get you to cry. Although you can cry if you want to. I'm not get here trying to get you to run to the altar and sling snot and cry and boo-hoo, I'm sorry, and please forgive me, Jesus. I'm not, I'm not looking for a sign. I'm looking for you to say to yourself, okay, has this ministry, this gift of repentance been in my life? Have I experienced it? I'm here to tell you, if you have not experienced the gift of repentance, you, you're deceived into thinking that you're a Christian because you just did certain things that the church said you would do and that you would say you love Jesus. Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, I love Jesus and I believe in Jesus too. But the truth is, the first word in the gospel is repent. Well, we don't like that, do we? You know, next Sunday morning, I'm going to finish the chapter 3 of Matthew. And we're going to look at some of the hard statements that John made. And we're going to allow God to just sweep through our heart and change our lives. But he can do that for you today. He can do that for you today. You can come down here to this altar and instead of complaining about a divorce or a car wreck or a sickness or, you know, a, a problem with 
uh, tragedy in your life or drugs or wreck life, you can come up to this altar without crying about that and say, that which caused me to do that, the sin, the root cause of this has caused me all this pain and it's not God. And God has given me the gift of repentance. I can come to this altar and not grieve about I feel bad, not grieve about this happened to me, not grieve about my past. I can come to this altar and grieve away from that which is destroying my life and grieving to Jesus Christ into his arms. Amen? Amen. I know this has been a not a loud sermon, but it's been a hard one. And I won't take back a word I've said. I believe that a person must receive the gift of repentance, must receive conviction, must turn from sin in order to really, truly be a Christian. It just doesn't happen without repentance. Amen. Stand with me. I'm going to give an invitation. I want you to remember Doris in prayer. Doris, it's so good to see you. I know these treatments have been so hard on you. We love you. We've been praying for you. It's good to have you today. Doris has been battling cancer, and she's a fighter. Awesome. Awesome. It's so good to see you. And, but I want, to, I want us to turn from that just for a moment. And ask yourself this question. Have I done the first step to salvation? Have I made the first step to salvation? It's repentance. All else follows it. And it don't mean you're going to cry. Don't mean You might cry. But we're not asking for a show of grief over your bitterness. We're asking you to say, okay, I see there needs to be a change in my life. I see I must change my life. And it's up to me to do that. It's up to me to come and say, I'll receive Christ as my Savior. You know, some of you were here last Sunday morning and you just almost came forward. And you know what you said to yourself? Say, how do you know? Are you a mind reader? No. You know what you said to yourself when you almost came forward? Not just last Sunday, You've been, you've been here before. You heard the message. You know what you said to yourself? I need to go up there. I'll, when I get home, later, I'll take care of that. And here you are standing in this auditorium, and you still have not taken care of that. That's the way the devil works. Just postponing. Josh's going to sing. We're going to invite you to come to an altar to come and repent. To come and say, I need a change of life and I need to make it right with my God. Altars open, you come.